Hello everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast. Thank you for joining us, I'm Matt Nickley. To prepare a magazine for publication takes remarkable and tireless curation. What articles are fit to print? What needs a different angle? Which photographs reflect the issue's tone and countless content decisions for each and every page as the deadlines fast approach? Staline Volandes is an example of a master curator and leader. As the editor-in-chief of Town & Country and the editorial director for El Decor, Volandes is an expert communicator and cultural advocate. Her decades of experience in fashion, decor, and mass media, coupled with her dedication to philanthropy and cultural advocacy, guide Volandes to creating impactful content. SCAD was thrilled to host Volandes virtually as part of our ongoing Guests and Gusto program. Paula Wallace Zoomed with Volandes before an audience of students from a wide variety of majors, including accessory design, jewelry design, writing, and more. Volandes also fields questions from SCAD students in a Q&A led by jewelry design senior Emma Campbell. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity, a conversation between Paula Wallace and Staline Volandes. We need to think about what is timeless, but what also our readers need to know about right now. And I think those two driving forces, what remains and what is relevant, are really the driving forces of town and country always. Staline, welcome to SCAD. It's wonderful to have you on Guests and Gusto. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been a loyal reader of both Town and & Country and El Decor for many years. I've always admired your stellar photography, curated articles, and advocacy for philanthropy. And many of our students and alumni aspire to work in publishing, and I know you can speak today to the ongoing strength of that industry. And SCAD has the best jewelry department of any university. So we have quite a few jewelry majors here today who are eager to learn more about your new book and your incomparable expertise. But before we begin, I want to announce our poll. What sells a magazine cover to you? Design, celebrity, headlines, or photography? We'll find out the results when it's time for our Q&A. <laughs> Staline, you're I known for like to hear these answers, actually. I know. <laughs> we'll hear. You are known for breathing new life into town and country. How do you reinvent a classic? Because it was founded in 1846. You have a storied past. Yes. Um, you know, the first editor's letter in 1846 set out Town & Country's mission, and the mission outlined in that editor's letter was that it was going to be a magazine that would instruct, refine, and amuse its readers. And the truth is that our, that mission is still our mission. When I look, when we're in the office, we have the wall up, which is mock-ups of the whole magazine up on a wall and we look at it and editors and I will sort of stand around it and we look at each issue and think are we 
teaching our readers something? Are we instructing them? Are we showing them a, a piece of jewelry or furniture or art that we think will make their lives better, refine? And mm -hmm. importantly, are we making them laugh? Are we surprising them someplace, the amused part of it? And so the trick though, is to think about having that foundation. And that is a timeless formula mm -hmm. for delivering great content. It is it's entertaining, it's instructive, it's educational. It is enriching to your reader. But the trick is to take that timeless equation and make sure it is timely. And I think when we talk about town and country now, the T is very much about being timely and timeless. Mm -hmm. And that has been such an important conversation that we have had since I started at town and country. I came to town and country as an editor in 2011 and I became editor in chief a few years later. But from the time I came to town and country, it was, it was the challenge we put to ourselves was how do you take a magazine that is very much about things that have always mattered and make it clear to the readers why they matter even more so now. Um, and, and we really think about that which each, with each page that we create and that we send to the printer, we make sure that it feels timely and timeless. That intersection is what makes town and country what it is right now. Yes, it's timely and timeless. And, um, and also it, it amuses, we have to have a little entertainment yes. in our lives. <laughs> you, we really do. And I think that that, that humor, it's, it's more of a sort of little wink or sometimes an arched <laughs> eyebrow. It's not a goofball. Um, but um, that kind of town and country humor makes the reader feel as if they are having a conversation when they sit down with the magazine, it is a wonderful conversation with a friend. And we have been around since 1846, so our readers do feel very connected to the magazine. It's a magazine that has been through generations of families. It's a magazine so many of our readers grew up with in their homes. And, and we also, we take that relationship quite seriously. And there is a very intimate connection between town and country and its readers. They are extremely loyal. Um, they feel very close to the magazine and they feel as if the magazine speaks directly to them. We never speak down to our audience. It is an eye-to-eye -eye conversation. And, um, you know, we also write about things that can be big investments or big ideas. And we know that the reader trusts us on those things and we make sure never to betray that trust. So we're talking about the audience a lot, but I'm wondering about in-house. I mean, as this pandemic continues yeah. to influence practically everything we do, how has it changed the day-to-day -day at your publications? Because uh, you're also editorial director for El Decor. Yes, and well, and that happened during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, so so um, El Decor in Town and Country at the Hearst Tower in New York, we are all on the same floor. So the staffs do know each other very well. Um, 
but you know the town and country staff is a very very close-knit staff we have worked together for a long time some of us have worked together at other magazines and and came here together um, we are very social together, go to the theater, go out to eat. We eat together in the office a lot. So not being together has been challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that the, um, and this sounds sort of corny, but the, the magic of collaboration, I, I think you see that in the magazine. You see the you know, I mean, I often talk about how I'll walk around with a first proof, which is like the first time we see the the text and the visuals all come together uh, in a layout. And I'll walk around and ask, you know, should this headline be ham I am period or ham I am exclamation point or should it be a question mark? And, and everyone on the whole floor is sort of adding in their, um, their opinion. And the final product is then this, there's an energy to it all. And mm-hmm. I think um, luckily that energy and that connection um, that the town and country staff has, I think is so strong that we have been able to rise to the challenge of, um, of creating the magazine virtually. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, we have a shorthand with each other and um, this, we're just finishing our September issue and sending it off to the printer. And that will be the second issue that we have produced virtually, but it's the first issue that we conceived entirely virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, the summer issue, which is our philanthropy issue, mm-hmm. we had very much sort of all been together planning it. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, and that's one of four covers. Um, it was Matthew and Camilla McConaughey, it was Robert F. Smith, it was Agnes Gund, and we had a beautiful illustrated cover. Uh, Mara Coleman did a beautiful illustrated cover, and um, there's also a beautiful illustrated story within the issue, and there's another one in September also. So we have, conceiving the issue, not being together, for me, has been more challenging. The, the sending the issue out to the printer and looking at layouts and of the summer issue, you know, felt, it, it felt manageable. Conceiving something without that back and forth, you know, we've managed it. And I think actually the September issue is, is quite amazing. Um, but that's when I really missed being around my colleagues and, and that brainstorming hive and and the, you know, the back and forth, like, is this a good idea? Is this a dumb idea? Is this, you know, that um, it happens over text and Slack. And, but I, I do miss that in-person interaction. And El Decor, um, I know the staff and it's an incredible, incredible staff. Um, and we have gotten to know each other better virtually. So um, it has been, you know, I think we all, um have made amazing efforts to, you just have to really be there for one another and, mm-hmm. um, you know, get on a, a Zoom call to see each other's faces, even when maybe a group email seems easier or more efficient in some ways, having that in-person, well, you know, everything is like yeah. person, right? <laughs> um, interaction you know, especially when you're doing something creative, and I know so many people listening will relate to this, it's the back and forth 
that that really infuses the 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 product or the piece of art with with what its essence as right you have a lot of ideas but you in the end you have a tangible outcome yes exactly so um so we have been very um supportive of each other um you know both at town and country and el decor but you know at el decor we've gotten to know each other and how we all work through a screen and and somehow it has happened it works it works (laughs) well i think you're a real visionary and i know that you're known for your future think can you talk about the challenge of reading the room when creating content right now Yes, uh, you know, and it's something I think about all the time. And I think that reading the room is is about being sensitive. And, and it's being sensitive on every level. You have to be sensitive right now to how your colleagues are feeling, right? And you need to be sensitive to sort of where the culture is. And you need to also be sensitive to what your brand is. So sort of where town and country, where El Decor, what they can bring to the cultural conversation that they have authority in and that will make impact. I remember being on my sofa like at the very beginning of the pandemic and I've been in New York City the whole time. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it has been an extraordinary and unforgettable experience. And, you know, I, I did that because I... I don't feel, I, I feel safest and happiest in New York. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the, the place where I feel I have ground underneath my feet. But I remember very early on, you know, you, you sort of think, what can I do to help? And, and everyone and everything needed help, right? I mean, those early weeks, you just didn't know. And, and you have to start to think where, well, okay, everyone needs help, but where can I help most? Yeah. And and I think that's the question that that we're all sort of facing now and where um you know where town and country and where El Decor can really make an impact culturally. And so mm-hmm. you need to be sensitive to where your voice will carry also. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that's really important. I know you've recently covered some fashion shows, many of which were inspired by artists of different era. So that's an interesting cross-pollination. It is. It is. So yesterday I I woke up to a text from Eric Mazza, who's our style features director um, and an incredible colleague. And he, you know, we're starting to plan the October issue. So just to get a sense of of sort of how far in advance we are, which makes reading the room <laughs> sometimes um, you really have to think about sort of where we might be in October or what we'll be ready for, you know? And our October issue is very much about the essential nature of art and culture and design. And, um, you know, I, I do think that in a, a world where so many of those things are not available to us right now, we only realize that much more how important they are, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I have not been able to sort of wander into the Sargent Gallery at the Met when I'm in a bad mood, which I generally mm-hmm. do. <laughs> and 
God, I realize how important that that room is to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the the topic and how we can all help to sort of save them and make sure we have those. For me, they're like food and water, art, culture, mm-hmm. and design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, all these different fashion shows have been inspired by artists, by contemporary artists, by El Greco, um, really across the spectrum. And we started to think about the idea of creativity right now. And when so many sources of inspiration, be it travel, be it museum, be it theater, be live music, when so many of those things are sort of cut off in some ways, where does a creative person go to sort of fuel their their Mm -hmm. mind and their creativity? And it seems like a lot of designers went to art books. Um, and so, That's a good place. Uh, yes, it's a great place. And it's a, it's a place that we all have access to. I mean, it made me go to my sort of bookshelf and look and see, you know, old exhibition catalogs that I had to, to look at them for layout ideas, for, for you know, sort of color, uh, color ideas, photography ideas. You know, there is inspiration all around us. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people also talk about how this this time is a challenge, but there are opportunities and sort of looking different places. Um, maybe you have to look a little harder sometimes, but um, I think there's something really interesting. And, you know, I, I also realize if you look at history, after times of crisis, generally, we get some really great art and we definitely yes. get great jewelry. Yes. Definitely get okay. great jewelry. So. Mm-hmm. And when we spoke yesterday, um, you shared that now more than ever, beauty has actual value. And we've been talking about how art and design uh, coalesce to meet essential human needs. But I was very intrigued by your statement, beauty has actual value. Yes. I, I think that beauty changes the way you feel. It changes the way you live your life. And I think that, again, when access to it is, it, right, think about sort of someone brings you flowers, or I, th- I know during the quarantine, I went to the deli often and bought flowers to bring into the apartment because they made me feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, just think about that. Or you buy, you know, you sort of go online and and buy a beautiful piece of ceramic or, you know, a beautiful painting. When that goes up in your home, it's something immediately switches on. And that is, that's the value of beauty. That is the power of it. And, you know, I, I think that beauty can be dismissed as something that's lovely but not necessary. I don't think after this it ever will be dismissed again. I I feel really strongly about one of the silver linings of this is we realize how important it is to, to have some beauty around us and how it has an actual effect on on our our physical and mental health. I, I really do think it is essential to civilization. Definitely. I can't live without it. No. <laughs> you stayed in New York, as you said, during the pandemic. How did you stay creative in this time of crisis? So you went out and got flowers. I went um, out and got flowers. I did. Well, I had a routine 
And I think that as I think that really helped me stay creative because it helped me stay sane. <laughs> um, and I, um, you know, I, I walk in the park every morning generally, and it's usually how I get to work as I walk through the park. But the way I stayed creative was I let myself wander and, mm. you know, it's I, a luxury. I, That's a luxury. It's a luxury. And it is something that when I'm working generally, I don't allow myself to do because I have to rush to work or to an appointment. And I think that that, as much as I had a routine, within that routine, I just let myself walk in the park wherever. If I, you know, usually if I see a corner that I don't know, I'm like, oh, if I get lost in, you know, in the North Woods, <laughs> I'll take forever to find myself. And, and, you know, during... This time I just, I just wandered and mm -hmm. you, and I didn't wear earphones either. I really mm -hmm. let myself just go. And um, I thought of some of the best headlines on those wandering walks <laughs> and, you know, the, the philanthropy issue cover was done really at the height of the crisis in New York. And it was you know, we have a lot of fun with our cover lines at Town and Country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking of reading the room, I sort of thought a lot on those walks about the cover lines for the philanthropy issue and how to make it sound like Town and Country, but make sure it wasn't tone deaf. And the idea of the way forward happened on, on one of those walks and it became the central cover line of the the summer issue and also the theme of our philanthropy summit which happened last week. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, you posted a powerful James Baldwin quote recently, not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced and with this uh, philanthropy summit that you recently hosted, what were some of the takeaways? Um, well, the what I remember and I keep quoting it, is um, Robert F. Smith, who um, most people know him because last year at Morehouse College, he gave a commencement speech and um, paid off all the student debt for the entire class. Um, and he has been a remarkable force in the Black Lives Matter movement and in, during the COVID uh, pandemic. And he said that it is our responsibility, all of us, to liberate the human spirit. Mm -hmm. And that the fact, and I, I always want people to think about this when you're talking about philanthropy, we each have the ability to do that. He said for, mm -hmm. for you know, you can read a book to someone and liberate their spirit. Yes, mm -hmm. you, can, you can give money and you can give opportunities, but there are you know, philanthropy at its core is just the answer to the question, what can I do? And every single one of us can do something. Can do something, absolutely. Right? And, and I think that came up again and again, the idea that we can all do something and that what we can also do is talk to each other and, and try and listen to each other and understand each other. Um, encourage, encourage each other. Encourage each other. And, and, you know, Darren Walker also talked about that we need to allow each other to make mistakes mm -hmm. and, and to, to sort of work through those mistakes to something better. 
So it was, it was a really wonderful, we had four days. Um, we had Ava DuVernay and Darren Walker. We had Van Jones and Robert F. Smith. We had um, Matthew and Camilla McConaughey um, and this amazing um, student organization they founded called Just Keep Living. And then the last days we had Gretchen Carlson and Bethany Frankel and then Scooter Braun and Emma Gonzalez. Um, so it was, it was a really wonderful series of conversations from many different points of view. Your forthcoming book is titled Jewels That Made History. And ever since reading Jeweler, this beautiful uh, tome, which is in our library, students uh, are going to look so at happy. it. Um, so my bookcase has been awaiting this new uh, Celine Rolandes <laughs> book. But how did you approach the research to author this definitive history? Like, how did you sure. narrow well, it down? It's not definitive. And I okay. Can, this, this, <laughs> but how did you narrow it down to well, just I'll, 101? I, so, um, it is not definitive because it is very much a chronicle of how I see jewelry. And, you know, the introduction says this is not a history of jewelry and it's not a history of the world. It is a look at when those forces collide. Mm -hmm. And what fascinates me most about jewelry it is beautiful and I you know I love to wear it but what fascinates me most is when the culture really almost carves out the piece of jewelry so mm -hmm. when you look at um, Egyptian revival art deco and you realize that Howard Carter's discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun suddenly, you know, it, it makes the news and all these jewelers are suddenly crafting, you know, turquoise scarabs or lapis um, sphinxes. And, you know, that's when, or if you look at Art Nouveau and realize how much the opening of Japan influenced that, um, that's when jewelry really becomes an artifact of a time um, mm -hmm. for me. And and as much as I love to talk about the, the craftsmanship and, and stones, that collision between history and art and when they really are sort of forces working together, that's what the book outlines. Um, so. Historical, sociological, anthropological, um, yes. and personal identity too, of yes, course. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and looking at, you know, there are many... Um, instances of what I call jewelry twists of fate. So, oh. Well, the other thing that fascinates me about jewelry, that it lasts forever, but that mm -hmm. some pieces get lost to history. And when you look at the pieces that with all the uprisings and revolutions and, you know, moving back and forth across countries and continents, there are these pieces that survive. And yes. actually, the, the last um, moment is uh, the Dresden Green Diamond. And that to me, so there was a, a robbery at the Green Vault in Dresden where the Green Diamond is generally held. And people were sort of, you know, freaking out that this super rare Green Diamond might have been stolen. It was in fact by chance, safely at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And so I remember going and it had just opened there. So it had just arrived. It was like some force made sure it was out of Dresden during this robbery. And, and those things are, 
you know, those are the the great jewelry stories. They're full of romance and it's like a great James Bond movie almost. Absolutely. Adventure. Yes. And I wonder what previous era or decade has the most to teach us about jewelry, do you think? Oh, um, I mean, the 19th century and I would say the early 20th century are quite... Um, you know, I find them interesting because you get such a distinct shift in styles. And mm -hmm. so you have, you know, and, and in materials. I mean, I think what you also see during that time is as the world opens, the palette of a jeweler's um, collection totally changes, right? Mm -hmm. You suddenly, you know, begin to have these carved stones because this travel to India sort mm -hmm. of heats up or you know, wars happen and diamond supplies are cut off. So suddenly sort of in the 1940s and, and platinum, in the 1940s, platinum starts getting used as a war material. So suddenly you have yellow gold and you have citrines from South America. And so that I would say between like 1840 and the 1940s, there are just, I think that's when you really see how travel and conflict and sort of the the opening and closing of borders really impacts a jeweler's imagination and what's available to them. And I think that there are also moments that we can all really sort of learn from right now. You know, there was a lot of creating opportunity out of crisis during that time. And um, I, I think we can all really learn from that. Absolutely. Well, Stalina, it's been such a pleasure to converse with you virtually. So you have to come yes. visit us at oh, one of our goodness. locations in Atlanta, Savannah, or Lacoste, or even all three. All three. So we look forward to welcoming you, yes. welcoming you at the future in the future. Yes. And sure. now it's time for our audience Q&A. Okay. And leading the Q&A will be SCAD jewelry major, Emma Campbell. Hi, Emma. Hello. Hi. Thank you, President Wallace. And thank you for being here with us today. For our viewers out there, you can submit a question by clicking on the Q&A button and typing one in. To start the Q&A, I'd like to ask you, with so many new jewelry brands coming into the market, what markers do you use to identify a brand that has what it takes to last and become a new timeless brand? Um, I always say for a jewel to really make an impression on me, if you put it on a tray, I would want to be able to identify it as yours. Mm -hmm. So having a strong signature and a clear point of view, nothing makes me more unimpressed than an imitation of something that already exists. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I'd rather see someone taking a real chance on something new. Um, I saw on Instagram today, someone posted a ring made of concrete with a diamond at the center. And, you know, it, it was sort of brutalist, and, but I, it caught my attention. I think it was House of Ren that did it. Uh, a woman named Mi Ling Wong, who's a wonderful sort of jewelry advisor and consultant posted it. Um, so I would say take a chance and, and really think about what is your signature. And some of it could be, you know, if you think about someone like, um, Larkspur and Hawk. What she does is is a very old technique. She does a lot of foil back rivieres. 
but no one was doing that five years ago, right? That is such a sort of old way of making jewelry and she brought it back and now that has become her signature. So is it a material? Is it a technique? Is it a motif? What is specifically yours? Um, and, and how are you going to express that? Um, what is the language around your brand um, that makes it feel clear what your point of view is? Um, mm -hmm. And I listen, I like very strong jewelry, very strong jewelry, and I like a very strong point of view. So this is my individual taste. Um, but I, um, I, I think that there is a lot of jewelry out in the marketplace right now. Um, there is a lot of jewelry online. And I think that in order to break through, you need to make sure you have a strong story and that that, that story is yours, specifically yours. Very insightful, thank you. Um, before we get to our audience questions, we have the result from our poll. Okay. The aspect of the audience says best sells a cover is design. What oh. can you tell us about that opinion? Um, well, I said headlines because, <laughs> because I, there's, I really, I love a good headline. And I think that, I think headlines, um, headlines to me really sell the story because they give the voice of the magazine and they tell you why you should care about this story or they should when it's good. Um, but I think design um, of a cover is, you know, there's a certain sort of power you need in a cover and it has to connect with the reader or the person that's buying it. And I think you do that in, you know, in, in different ways for different magazines. Again, the idea of what a town and country cover is or an El Decor cover is, is different than what other magazines do. And we have a lot of type on our cover, which I think a lot of magazines have moved away from that. Um, for me, I think on a newsstand, I like to see a lot of type on a cover because it tells me what's inside. Um, on social media, type on a cover does not work as well. Um, and so I think a lot of people have moved away from that. But I think you also have to remember that, you know, what's, what's on social media is not actually what's in the marketplace. So you have to sort of balance. But no, design is, is crucial. Everything. I, but I believe that everything is crucial. You know, it's like when you walk into a beautifully designed room, you want the the doorknobs to be gorgeous and the crown molding to be gorgeous and the finishings and the floor. For me, that's a great headline, a great design, a great image, a great subject, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think design on its own is super important. I think headlines on their own are super important, but what really makes impact is all those forces together. Fantastic. Thank you. Our first audience question is from Shelby and she's asking, what is your advice for young professionals entering the workforce? I think that you need to know very specifically what you want to do. I think that sometimes people come into the magazine and say, um, well, I wanna work at Town and Country or I wanna work at El Decor. And I say, well, what department? Anywhere. And that's the wrong answer. Because that to me says that that person has not really thought about um, what their strengths are 
and how those strengths can benefit the magazine. Um, and they haven't done enough research. And I think that coming into a job or a, a market or an industry, knowing very specifically what the opportunities are within that industry and how you can use your own strengths and skills to become a part of that is, is really important. Um, so to just say, I want to work in fashion. Well, do you want to design? Do you want to be on merchandising? Do you want to be in marketing? And, and why? Is that, was there a campaign you saw that you said, oh my God, that's, I want to do that. I want to figure out who to cast, where to shoot this. Um, or is it you saw a beautiful show at SCAD and you thought this, this design is incredible? Or did you see Andre Leon Talley speak at SCAD and said, I want to become a fashion journalist um, to know as much as, as Andre does? You know, to, to really sort of go in knowing, knowing the industry and, and the market and knowing how you fit into it. Um, I think is really important. I also, I listened to uh, Jessica Pels, who's the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan, gave this tip to someone, and I thought it was so genius, especially right now, that if you are sending your resume, also send a little video of yourself. Because, you know, right now, there, you know, the sort of human interaction is difficult and challenging, and, but everyone's like, yearning for it. And so why not sort of show that you understand how important it is to be personal and you give a sense of yourself that a, a paper resume just never, never can. Um, so I idea. really interesting, really mm -hmm. interesting. It, you know, it made a, a real impression on me when I heard her say that. That is great advice. Um, for our second question, what forms or pieces would your own jewelry creations take if you could design? Oh, you know, it's so interesting. A lot of people say to me, oh, you should design your own jewelry collection. And I never, ever will. Because for me, a jewelry designer is an artist. I, I can appreciate that art and I love writing about that art, but I never would ever assume to have that ability. You know, I, I write, I don't design. And I, I think it's really important that we value the genius of jewelry design um, in as a very special talent and skill. But I will tell you that it would definitely be yellow gold. I am, I wear almost only yellow gold. And it would likely have some sort of ancient inspiration. Um, I like hammered gold. I like, and I like very heavy, bold pieces. Um, you know, it's very sort of David, it would be very sort of David Webb, Lalonis, um, Bulgari kind of jewelry. That's very fun. I would love to see that. Our next question is, the pandemic shift from virtual has changed the way content is created and made authenticity and lo-fi, such as Zoom videos and Instagram lives, more important than ever. Print editorial is often looked at as the highest caliber in the aspirational photography. How do you bridge this gap? And will the magazines be looking at ways to utilize different types of photography and video content to stay relatable? Sure, you know, I think that it's important to realize that 
you know, Zoom videos and Instagram lives have been a wonderful way for us all to stay connected. And I do think as we emerge from the pandemic, they will continue to be really useful tools. Um, when someone picks up a magazine, I don't think they're looking for lo-fi. You know, I, I think that there is a place for this. And I think we've all gotten used to people freezing and, you know, dogs in the background. And that's all fine here. For a place like Town & Country or El Decor, I don't think you want that um, lack of detail. Um, but we have our September cover was shot on Zoom. You know, I, I think it looks beautiful. And I think that it offers us you know, and we did our whole philanthropy summit over Zoom. It's generally a live event and it went off beautifully. So I think we now have a different arsenal. But I think that as far as expectations of of quality and imagination and creativity, I do think there will continue to be a different expectation in the magazine than there is sort of in this uh, arena. Our next question is, can you go into some more detail about collecting content for a magazine virtually? Do you hold Zoom interviews or implement any creative methods for photography? Um, well, I we have done a lot of Zoom photography. I don't, I can't really go into the details of it because it's sort of more technical, but I think it's sort of a fascinating new sort of area of photography that that has emerged that will continue to be refined and have an impact for sure. Um, we have done a lot of um, Zoom interviews. I've been doing Zoom uh, jewelry appointments. And so every, anything that we used to do in person, we made sure immediately to do virtually. So even, you know, as I said, sort of we're a very social group and a lot of the times we'll meet, you know, sort of our, our, our designer friends or, you know, uh, people from the industry and fashion PR and jewelry PR from, you know, and PR at museums. And so we started to do drinks with town and country. And so the same way I would say, oh, I'm going to have a drink with, I don't know, William Ivy Long. Um, you know, we sort of set up drinks with William Ivy. So we, we tried to keep, because that social aspect is for especially a magazine like Town and & Country and El Decor, so many of your best ideas come from conversation, right? You, you know, at Town and & Country, you sort of observe behavior of, of people. And, you know, for El Decor, I was out um, at a, a decorator's house this weekend and I overheard someone talking about this amazing person who just bought a house. And like, I, I wouldn't have, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I have to sort of, you know, say El Decor wants that house. So there, that sort of ongoing conversation with people is really, really essential to collecting and creating content um, for these magazines. I think, you know, obviously press releases have come in and, um, but relationships are always the best way to get a great story, always. Interesting, thank you. Our next question is, do you have any thoughts on what role we might see jewelry beads playing in the future? I love beads because for me, they are, first of all, they are one of the most ancient form. Um, 
you know, this idea that, you know, in Mesopotamia, they would take, you know, stones and sort of string them onto a bead. Um, and there's, there's something so simple that to me makes them so extraordinary. I also think like throwing beads over, like, you know, I sort of wore white shirts and leggings throughout this whole pandemic, but I always wore a string of beads. So I think the key with beads is, is the material. And I think, you know, the more um, imaginative a jeweler is with the material, um, anything really can be made into a bead. Um, and, and so I'd love to see, and, you know, I, and I think beads can be wrongly dismissed as sort of too simple a design. But I think actually a bead um, with sort of a very odd, interesting material is, is something quite extraordinary. Is LDF seeing a shift in the way people value or think about interior design due to the prevalence of working from home? And is yeah. it impacting editorial decisions? Um, well, I don't think it impacts editorial decisions. I think that, you know, El Decor has always been about the best design around the world. And this experience, uh, for better or for worse, has been a unified global experience. And I think the, that experience is very much that home has never been more important. You know, I say what has happened is our home now has to be all things to us. It has to be our favorite restaurant. It has to be our theater. It has to be our favorite hotel. Um, it has to be our sort of favorite, uh, I don't know, gallery. It needs to perform so many things. And so we realize the potential in all our homes. And I think the that will impact design. I think, you know, sort of, I look around and think, okay, well, my apartment needs this, it needs that. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of, of redecorating and renovation once, you know, we're sort of out of this. Because I do think that, listen, I am someone who before this, I was out every single night. I, I you know, I, I was, and I, I mean, I loved it. I'm not going to say, but I don't know that I'll ever go back to that schedule. Uh, I think that understanding how wonderful it is to be home and to have some quiet. Um, I think that has been a universal experience. I think we're all, I mean, listen, I can't wait to go to live theater again and, and be in the Met when it opens, but I also realize how wonderful it is to have a weekend where I don't leave my apartment. Mm -hmm. you know, there's something really wonderful and restorative about that. And so I, I think the the value of home, of the concept of home and of the design and decoration of our homes is is something that um, you know, when we talk about silver linings and learnings, I think that is is near the top. Fantastic. Thank you for your answers. It looks like that's all the time we have for today's conversation. Thank you very much, Delaine, for your time and this oh, incredible opportunity you. to hear from you. And we also discovered that we share a birthday. Yes, that yeah, was the best that was so cool. I love that. <laughs> that's well, very I'm a, I'm a reader, so I really enjoyed getting to hear from you today. So I look forward to seeing you again, Delaine. Thank you. And thank Wonderful. you, Emma. Great job. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. And good luck. Good luck thank with everything. You. you too. Fantastic. <laughs>
I hope you enjoyed hearing from Staline Volandes. What's an item of yours that brings you immediate joy? Have you designed your work and living space to have moments of escape and bliss? Bring your personality to the forefront and give your personal treasures a prominent home. Be sure to keep an eye on the Guests and Gusto events page on scad.edu to find out about and participate in upcoming interviews and artist visits. Thank you for tuning in to SCADcast and On Creativity, executive produced by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace, with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett. On behalf of the entire SCAD community, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active. We'll see you next time.